Morning. There we go. I'm about to not be. Now, uh, I know it's kind of hard to tell because it's so subtle, but um, I'm wearing a fur coat right now. And uh, I don't know, this is, <laughs> this is ridiculous, obviously. But I, uh, I got this from somebody. I borrowed this from somebody uh, here this week. And oh man, I wanted to get this off um, before somebody took a picture. That's great. We're going to look like a, like a crazy cult now online. <laughs> the pastor wears this robe every single weekend. And uh, that can't be good. But uh, this, this coat actually happens to be uh, real as far as I understand it. It's like Arctic Fox or something, uh, kind of wild like that. But, um, but of course, a lot of people have like, like fake fur coats, right? Like faux fur, okay? And, and they got like, you know, coats and, and scarves and hats and blankets and all of that. Now, I'm the kind of person, and maybe this is, this is true for you, I'm the kind of person who doesn't quite have an eye to be able to tell you know, real from the fake, right? Like this is, I mean, this thing is nice. It is cold enough. I probably could wear this the entire day and be totally good up here. But again, I don't have a very trained eye for this. Now, maybe some of you, uh, some of you do, uh, but to me, it kind of, it kind of all looks the same. Now, I'm going to pass this to my wife. She can wear it for the service (laughs) as she sits there. But uh, thank you, Tracy, for that. Appreciate that a lot. But um, hey, I say all of this because as we head into Jonah chapter two, um, it's not because I'm trying to stick with some kind of animal theme or something like that, right? There's a fish in Jonah two and there's animal. It's, it's not that at all, okay? Uh, but rather, uh, it's because this passage is often thought of as Jonah's heartfelt repentance, all right? So he's, he's run away from the Lord. He's, he's disobeyed God. He's fled. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. He jumps on a ship to Tarshish. And of course, in this passage we're going to look at here, he, you know, he, gets, he gets swallowed by the fish. He, you know, he's finally broken in that moment, and he cries out to the Lord. The, the fish spits him out, and you know, off he goes to finally fulfill his calling. Only a, a closer look at this reveals that it's not nearly that neat and tidy of a situation. All right? In fact, I would say it's more like, it's more like fake repentance than, than real. At best, you could call what Jonah does here as, as maybe partial repentance, right? He, 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 comes, he comes partway in getting himself right with the Lord, Right? He shows some signs of, uh, of headed in the right direction. Okay, but there's enough here, as we're going to see here in God's word, uh, to be able to, to kind of sense that not everything is quite the way it should be. Right? Something is, is seriously missing. Okay, now, you and I, you and I relate to this, I think. And we all experience moments, plenty of moments, I believe, through our walks with the Lord where our, our repentance is, at best, kind of partial. Okay? It's, you know, we, 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 we half deal with our sin, you know, but, we, but we, don't, we don't quite face it head on. And what we have to realize here is that anything less than, than total, genuine, you know, contrite, real repentance is not adequate. 
It's not good enough to come part way. It's actually, it's actually fake. Now, the thing that's so cool is that God's love still works with us in this. When you and I find ourselves in that kind of situation, God, God doesn't give up. We just sang about that. We see that in the life of, of Jonah, absolutely. And I, and I find it here, you know, in chapter two, and we're gonna see it over the next two weeks after this, how just how mind-boggling God's relentless pursuit of us really is. Because again, as we were kind of looking at last week and we're gonna see it here today, Jonah's not that great of a guy. Right? His, his heart's pretty hard here. And, and listen, as we really kind of look inward as well, we realize, you know what, I'm not much different than him. And so the question for you and I here this morning as we look at this is really this. Is my repentance real? Is it real? Is it, is it from the heart? Is it, is it real brokenness? Is it producing not just outward obedience where, yeah, sure, I'm on the outside. It looks like I'm doing all the right things. Is it, is it producing heartfelt obedience, joyful obedience? We're like, I can't wait to follow the Lord. This is going to be awesome. Right? Is that what it is? Or... Or would our repentance be considered fake? Is it for show? Is it, is it outward? Is it, is it not of the heart? As you think about this and you kind of take a look back even over the last couple of days, you kind of realize like, oh man, like I, need, I need help in this. Right, that's exactly how I felt for sure. And so I want to go to the Lord on our behalf. Why don't you join me as we pray? God, we come before you and... Lord, we all know that we struggle in our hearts to, to repent at times, or we're, we're hard, hard, we're, we're stubborn. We want what we want. We want our way. Our, our flesh takes over so quickly. And God, we see over time, you, you begin to show us that giving into what we want and giving into temptation and, and not yielding to you and not confessing sin as it comes up, not, all of that leaves us in a place of, of discomfort, of, of misery, of, of pain, a lack of joy, broken relationships, you name it. And so God, here today, Lord, we bring ourselves limping and broken before our great and awesome God who uh, continues to chase us down uh, despite our weaknesses, despite our failures, despite the fact that we make a mess of things quite easily. And so God, we want to rejoice. We want to praise you. We want to exalt the name of Jesus. And God, we also want to cry out for more of your power in our lives, God. That's what we want. We want to see you shatter us if need be. God, we want to see you soften us. We want to see your Holy Spirit encourage us in these moments, Lord. Would you bring us to the pay, uh, place of heartfelt, true, real repentance, Lord, done with the fake variety, done with all of that. And so, God, we recognize that we need you for this. This is not something we can conjure up. We've said that before. We know that. And so, God, we just bring ourselves before you and ask and plead and pray that you would move, that you would work by your grace, in your love, continue to pursue your wayward people, your wayward sheep. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, we're going for genuine, true, real repentance this morning, all right? But, but what we're going to do is we're actually going to come at it kind of from the other side of the coin or, or, or from a different angle here, uh, looking at what its counterfeit looks like. All right, so here's what fake repentance involves. First thing, uh, acknowledging a lot of the right things, but, but not owning my faults. All right, take a look at this here. 
uh, as we look at the last verse of chapter one and then uh, jump into the second chapter. Of course, we know this, bringing us up to speed here. Jonah has, uh, he's just been thrown overboard. Right? He knows that the Lord is, is not happy and had sent the storm and the mariners, the, the sailors were stressing out to the max. That tells you right there that, that these veteran sailors were, you know, that tells you the storm was bad, right? If it could get, get to them and get under their skin. And so, you know, the, the sailors, they don't want to throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah says, you know, I'd do it anyways. And he'd rather, he'd rather be killed than repent. That's how kind of a dark spot he is in. And so they throw him over and they're, you know, the storm stops immediately, right? It says that it stops, it's raging. And the sailors are trembling at the power of God. And then here's the verse, chapter one, verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And what's that all about? Well, it, it could have been a, you know, some kind of fish. Maybe it was a fish that has gone extinct. I mean, I don't know of an actual fish these days that would be big enough to swallow uh, a man whole, but it, uh, it also could have been a whale. That makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people says, well, you know, it says fish, not whale. So you can't say that it was a whale. Well, you know, relax on the grammar police there, but uh, it's actually a very general word in the Hebrew, uh, suggesting that it could have been uh, either or. It could have been a whale. It could have been a fish. It just says fish. Okay, so... So this fish comes, it swallows up Jonah. Keep going, it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That seems pleasant. And Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. A couple of things uh, to note here about this. First of all, uh, that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and, and three nights automatically kind of gets our, our, our thinking and, and, and reminds us of what? Reminds us of, of Jesus, right? He, you know, he spent you know, three days, he, was, you know, he died on Friday and, and then uh, on, on Sunday he was risen. He was risen three days uh, later, right? And that's of course uh, what we celebrate every year at Easter, all right? So, so in Jonah, what we see here is uh, you know, uh, a hint of foreshadowing towards the Messiah. How cool is that, right? Because it's to get us to, to think about that. Okay, so, so as God raises Jonah okay, from, the, from the depths of, of the sea and, and certain death, okay, God would raise Jesus, okay, um, Jesus to, uh, from the grave to, to defeat sin and death, right? That's what he would do, all right? As, as God raises Jonah to be an instrument of salvation and, and re- uh, redemption for the Ninevites, we're going to look at that next week in chapter 3, God victoriously raises Jesus to be the means by which, by which you and I are redeemed from the wages of sin and death forever, right? So you see the, the parallels there? I mean, there's so many, so many connections, not just in this story, but so many different stories in the Old Testament that point ahead constantly towards what Jesus Christ would do. Right? It points ahead to, it's even a picture of, of what, what God desires to do in us. He desires to, to raise us from the dead, spiritually speaking. He desires to rescue us from the belly, to rescue us from sin and, and to raise us up and forgive us and to, to use us and, and give us purpose to go and, and share the gospel, the good news with people, right? I love all of that foreshadowing that you see in the Old Testament and it all comes true in Jesus Christ. Okay, second thing to notice here and to to really understand. And the, the English translation here does just doesn't quite capture it as well as, as the original language. 
Okay, but in, but in Hebrew, it, it uses the word there, belly, right? Belly of the fish. You see it there in the verse? I mean, it uses it actually two different ways. It uses it in, in 1 verse 17 and in 2 verse 1. So in 1 verse 17, that word is in, in the masculine form, okay? Meaning just, just literally belly, okay? Pretty straightforward, I think. But in 2 verse 1, it uses it, it uses it in, the, in the feminine form. Now, that doesn't usually happen. Usually when you're using a word and you use it a bunch of times and an author would do that, it would just be in the same form. But he uses it a little bit differently here to signify uh, or mean womb. Okay, that's the, that's the use of the word there. Now, why? Why would he do this? Well, the author, it's the author's way of letting us know that the appointment of the fish by God is is his way of, of both judging Jonah's sin. Okay, that's, that's certainly part of what's, do, uh, what's going on here, right? He's, he, there, there's judgment happening here, right? Because being in the, in the belly of the fish, I mean, just picture that. Jonah's thinking it's over, right? Like I am literally fish food. I, you know, imagine uh, the, the, the stomach pile. I mean, do I have to paint a picture for you? It's, it's, it's death. There, there's, there's no rescue from this at all. I mean, the word, the word swallow that's in the verse there as well, that, that verse is used multiple times throughout the Old Testament and it signifies God's judgment, okay? God's judgment on sin. And yet at the same time, what we see here uh, in this verse, okay, being in the fish's womb, okay, indicates that, that Jonah's about to experience a new birth, all right, so, he, so he'll be saved. He's, he's going to be rescued. And so we see through these verses here, and what you realize is that God is, again, both judging Jonah for his sin and simultaneously saving him, right? Which is, which is exactly what he does in you and I. Right? When he convicts and when he disciplines us, anytime we get out of line or, or, or when we sin and all of that, it's not just God judging us, right? It's not just his disciplinary hand, right? But, but it's to actually redeem us and to, and to raise us up and give us a, a new birth of sorts, right? It's to, it's to, to forge deeper holiness in us. So when you sense the hand of the Lord on you and, it, and it's heavy and it's that, it feels like you just had heart surgery. You, have you experienced that before when the, Lord, when the Lord convicts you and it's super uncomfortable and maybe you felt you know, hot and sweaty and just the, the weight of the, of the realization of, of what you have done has, has come over you and all of that. When you, when you experience that discipline, you experience the consequences of your sins and all of those actions and all of that. It's not, it's not God just breaking you down, okay? That's part of it, but that's only one step. It's also God building you up. That is what he is doing. It's what he's doing here in Jonah. Okay, now here's how Jonah responds. Again, he's been in the fish for how many days and nights? Three, right? Three days, three nights. And then pick it up there, two verse one again. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Does that strike you as kind of interesting? Right, it took him three whole days and three whole nights before he's like, you know what? I should like, I should talk to God about this. You find that, I find that kind of funny in some ways. I mean, you'd think, I love how we always think we're way better than, than everybody else in the scriptures who make mistakes, right? You'd think that all it would take is like, I'm in the fish's stomach for two seconds and I'm like screaming out to the Lord for help on all of this. That's what, that's what you would think. But I think it just, 
It just goes to show us here in this, in this verse how, how far we have to fall sometimes, right? How, how we, we don't learn. We're, we're very hard-headed. We're very thick-skulled. And, and some of you know that. You think back to your testimony. You think back to your life before Christ and maybe even some seasons of, of waywardness uh, since giving your life to the Lord. And you realize, man, like I, had, I really had to go through it. I wish that my heart was, was softer to God's, to God's voice. I, I, I wish that I saw it. I wish that I understood. But sometimes we have to fall far and we have to fall hard and we have to get wet and gross and a fish's stomach, hopefully not literally for us, right? Before we, we kind of wake up and, and look to God again. Now here's what he prays and pay really close attention to this. Not just what he says, but but what he doesn't say, okay? That really screams at us here today. Verse two, take a look. It says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Okay, that was a word that, that was a, the, their idea, their understanding of like the grave, that was the word for that grave and death. He's like, I was, I was at death's door. That's what Sheol was like. Okay, I cried out of the belly of Sheol and I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He's just describing the moment of being in the water and all of this. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, from your presence. And he says, yet, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Now, what Jonah, uh, what he says here, okay, uh, and, and a lot of what he does kind of in what he says through these verses here, um, it's pretty good, right? It, it seems like his, his doctrine is pretty strong, okay? At least at face value anyways, okay? In verse two, he says, it says he, he calls out to the Lord. And again, exactly what we should do uh, whenever we're in a jam, okay? When we, when we fled from God's presence, cry out to him, ask him to, to draw us back again, okay? So he's off to a good start. We also see that his, his theology is pretty solid. He says there, uh, you heard my voice. You heard my voice. So he knows that if, if I pray to God, he will hear me. He's not doubting that, right? He, he believes in, in prayer. He believes that God hears the prayers of his people when, when you and I, we cry out in distress. And verse three, look what he says. He says, for, for you have cast me into the deep. So right there, he clearly, he clearly believes in God's sovereignty, Right, he understands it was the, you know, physically speaking, the, the sailors are the ones that, that chucked him overboard. Okay, but he understands that the, that the Lord was teeing all this up, right? The Lord was working behind the scenes and he orchestrated all of this for, for Jonah to be, to be cast into the deep. You know, it's the God's orchestrating it. So right, so right there, that's pretty good, right? Check. Verse four, he says there, he says, I am driven away from your sight, Meaning that he's been driven away from intimacy uh, with God, right? Correct. We would say, yeah, yeah, that's what our sin does. It's, it's us running away. That's what we looked at last week. Continuing, he says, I shall yet again, or he says, yet I shall again 
Look upon your holy temple. Do you see that there? Yeah, this is actually a, a bit of a mashup of, of some other scriptures. It comes to us from uh, Psalm 5, verse 7, and Psalm 31, verse 22, where in both of those places, David is crying out to the Lord in his distress. And so what do we take from that? We take that Jonah, be like, he knows the Bible, right? He understands, he knows, he knows his word. And so he, he uses that scripture uh, in his prayer, and so it's all very spiritual lingo that, that he's using here, right? And he's very poetic, even dramatic, you might say. I mean, look at verse five, look at verse five. So the water's closed in over me to take my life. There's a lot of drama in that. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at, at the roots of the mountains. He's like deep, deep, deep into the ocean. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. It just feels that, that bondage and that separation from God there. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Again, he's using very Davidic language there. He's, he's borrowing from the Psalms. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not suggesting here that, that Jonah's a, a complete phony. Okay? I'm not saying that. I, I, don't think, I don't think, I'm not saying none of his words have you know, have any shred of authenticity or, or anything like that, right? He does acknowledge a lot of the right things. I think we would agree with all of that here. But listen, he is deceived because what's missing? Have you thought about that? Have you noticed uh, what might be missing from the text here as we look at this? How about this? Repentance, right? Owning his faults, clear and specific admission of his guilt. He hasn't done any of that. Do you see that there? There's no confession of sin. He acknowledges that his life happens to be terrible right now. Right? I'm sinking. I'm in the, you know, the belly of a fish. This is you know, not my ideal day. Like that's what he's saying here. He acknowledges that God can in fact rescue, which is true. He can recite truth. He, he can say all of the right things. And he can obviously be very, be very emotion, emotive and, and dramatic about it all. But missing from this is actual, real repentance. It's not there. Now listen, we do the exact same thing, don't we? Have you seen that in your life? Right? Maybe you're right now, you're in that place where you're like, well, well hey, I, I pray to God all the time. And I bring to him the, the difficulties of my life and I'm, I'm constantly bringing that to him and I'm always asking him to remove it and I'm, and I'm asking for help and, you know, and, I, and I'm transparent about that. I'm talking to other people, other believers. We talk about the stuff that's going on in my life all the time. I'm, I'm authentic. I'm even, I'm even vulnerable. I could, I could close the world off, but, but I don't do that. Again, maybe you do a lot, of, a lot of the right things. A lot of those things are, 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 are great. But at the end of the day, maybe you're starting to see here that, that your heart isn't exactly changing. And in fact, maybe, maybe it's getting harder. Maybe it's growing colder. Because despite all those good words and, and all of those great actions and outward behaviors and all of that, there's been a there's been a critical failure in you to actually address the sin. Listen, I've said this before, but, but you and I, people, we, 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 cannot, 
We cannot bypass around, okay, uh, you know, the, the confession and, and the brokenness and, and the heart surrender and, and, and the admission of guilt and that coming from the heart, all of that, and, 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 you know, and arrive at, at getting right with the Lord. You can't do it. You can't, you can't skip repentance. You can't toss that behind you and expect everything to be okay between you and God. It, it just doesn't work that way. We got to address it. We got to deal with it. We got to we got to own it. Because that's what Christians do. That's what we do. Maybe thinking, well, why? Why? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to face that stuff? It's it's uncomfortable. I I don't like it. It's <coughs> pardon me. It's it's easier to just kind of avoid it and. I don't want to face that head on. I don't want to have maybe some hard conversations with loved ones. <coughs> Excuse me. So why should we address the sin? Why should we own it? Well, because we have confidence in our salvation. We have confidence that God will forgive us every single time, right? That's what the gospel tells us. Jesus Christ, if you're a Christ follower today, he has redeemed you. He has, he has made you new. He has made you a, a, a new creation. And the gospel promises that, that forgiveness is available to us. God has paid the price for your sin at the cross and through his resurrection. We don't have to be, we don't have to be like, a, 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 you know, a fearful that he's not going to do that. We, we shouldn't be. We should be just very open about this. Yeah, you know what? I am, I am broken and, and, and I am a mess and, and I do mess up. And it's okay that I talk about this because we're all in the same boat and we all do it together, really. We shouldn't fear his forgiveness. We shouldn't avoid it ever. Now, listen, if this is striking a chord for you or, or maybe you're you know, aware of the presence of, of sin in your life and you know you really want to own the faults and and you don't want to be that fake repentance person and 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 all of that but you but you're kind of sensing in your heart that it's just not there and and I and I and I want to like put the paddles on and, and and kind of jolt it back to life but I can't seem to to do it and my repentance just feels like you're super mechanical and and wooden and stiff it doesn't feel very real like what do I do here I need some help and if you're feeling like your repentance is empty words and it feels maybe fake, I want to just share with you uh, some scriptures here that personally, I, just th I think about a lot. And I tend to go back to these and I read over them and I kind of pray through all of these when I'm in that place because you better believe I get into that place. Because here's the thing, as, as much as there is an onus on us to to repent, right? And, and to turn away from our sin and embrace forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's, there's, an own, there's a responsibility on us. I think we understand that, right? As much as there is all of that, we, we also have to understand how, how repentance works overall, right? We have, to, we have to understand the whole package here. And, and the Bible tells us over and over again that, that repentance, even repentance is a gift of God. It's something that he gives us by grace, he works it out in our hearts as, as you and I humble ourselves and get low before him. You want to see the Lord uh, bring repentance into your life and breathe new joy into you. Just get low before him. Get yourself, get yourself down there. Prostrate heart. I'm not just talking about like a physical action where you do that and people are watching. I'm not saying that. I'm like getting your hearts low. Confess your sin. That's going to usher in the power of God to transform you. 
That's what's going to happen. And I would say, here are some verses again that have helped me pray through these. Here's the first one. Okay, Romans 2 verse 4, jot this down. I love this part here. It says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to what? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see how God does something there? He actually leads us to the point of heartfelt repentance. He, by his Holy Spirit, in his power, by his grace, he he ushers you there. He gets you there. Think through that. Meditate on that verse. You know how powerful it is to pray the scriptures? Pray, God, would you lead me to this place? I'm even sensing right now that my, my heart is cold and hard and I'm tempted to just go through the motions and, and to check a box and, and it's all being like nothing getting in here. Lord, would you, would you break in here? Would you lead me to repentance? I love that. He does it. Here's the second one. Second Timothy 2 verse 25. So Romans 2 and 2 Timothy 2. Here it is. It says that, that God may, ha- may perhaps grant them repentance. Okay, that he might grant them repentance. And then if you finish it, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, so again, God gives it, right? He, he grants it. He, he, he gives it. He allows it. It is, it is an act of God in the heart of a sinner. Right? That, that's what God does. It's not something you can just contrive and get your heart to do. You can't, you can't produce that in yourself. I can't do it. No one can. Okay, so you see there how God does it. Let's continue that theme. Psalm 51 verse 10. Psalm 51 verse 10. This is David. It's just an awesome psalm in terms of what heartfelt repentance looks like. He just committed adultery with Bathsheba and he's getting you know, back into a good place of the Lord. He says this, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Who does the creating of the clean heart? God. Who renews his spirit? God, right? God does it. God, I love that. He creates that clean heart that we all want. He renews the spirit. He gives us that, 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 that proper mentality, that proper attitude to, to fight sin and to hate sin and to love him, right? He renews that in us. This is what David prays as he, as he repents. And I love this, this last one we'll look at here, Psalm 32. Again, it's, it's David and it's all up on the screen. I'm gonna read it here. And this is uh, verses three to, verses three to six. Five or seven. I'm going to see where we go here. Okay, it says this. For when I kept silent, okay, so when, in other words, when I didn't repent, what does it say? It says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Like this, this, this describes what the spiritual life is like for a Christian who refuses to repent. It's, 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 it's uncomfortable at best. It's, it's not good, right? But then look at this. It says, I acknowledged my sin to you, exactly what we're talking about here. And I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't gloss over it, none of that. I said, I will confess my transgressions to, to the Lord. And you, it says, forgave the iniquity of my sin. How great is that? He just, he owns it, doesn't he? He, he just faces it head on. He's not pushing it away. 
And I mean, know oh, that that would be our hearts, right? No more of this partial, kind of half-hearted, going through the motions, refusing to fully own it, knock off full repentance of sorts. Okay, that end game is, is just, it's misery and dissatisfaction and God doesn't get any glory from that. It's exactly what Jonah's experiencing here. It does not honor God. It produces no real change. Now, all that being said, it's not to say that God won't still be merciful even if we get repentance wrong. I mean, how amazing is that? That has so refreshed me this week as I've thought through all the times that I've repented. It's just been empty words or it's been from a heart that's just ice cold and realizing, you know what? As I look back on that, the Lord still worked in me. He's still been gracious. I I see him pursuing me. I, I see that he's not letting me go. It's amazing. We see that here in in Jonah, as it just gets worse for him, here's the second thing, and just the last thing, just two points today. Fake repentance involves arrogant self-confidence in response to God's mercy and grace. Really? We see that here in Jonah? Yeah, take a look at verse seven. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now you might be looking at that and being like, that sounds good to me. You know, there's nothing you know, too arrogant about any of that, I don't think. Okay, but, but here's the problem. Jonah's emphasis is all wrong here. Okay, this is how we sing. He's like, I remembered the Lord, right? My prayer came up to you, right? He's emphasizing his pious acts. Here's, here's how mature I was in this moment. I prayed to you. Look what I was able to accomplish here. I'm, I am so wise that I had the ability to turn back to my God when everything was bad. Now listen, in, in the scriptures, I think of Genesis chapter eight, actually, when, when Noah had been on the ark for 150 days, here's what it says. It says, but God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Jonah's going the opposite direction with this. He's like, I remembered you, right? And and this is, you know, God remembered Noah. That's the emphasis being on on God, right? What he's done. It's not Noah remembered God and God was so impressed by that that he decided to, you know, dry up the earth. Yeah, that's that's not what's happening here. Yet essentially that's, that's the attitude Jonah's bringing. And look, it just, I mean, it just goes more downhill and more sideways. Verse eight. Hey, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Okay, again, face value, that's, that's bang on. Okay, you're going to serve idols. You're going to forsake intimacy with the Lord. You're not going to have a strong sense of his love towards you because you're so distracted and wrapped up and blinded by, by the idolatry that you're giving yourself into. It's, it's a very true statement what he says here. Okay, but, it, but this appears to be not a, not a humble admission of, of Jonah's own idolatry, but actually a shot at the sailors. The, the arrogance of this guy, he's in the belly of a fish right now. How, who knows how many leagues under the sea? And, and, and he, has, he has the audacity to take a shot at, at, these, at these pagans, right? at, at, at these sailors. At, maybe it's the Ninevites, who again, he's been called to go and show love to. And he's like, look at me and look at them. Of course, ironically, it's, it's the sailors up above on, on the ship who, who are seeing their idolatry crumble as they marvel and worship the one true God. So what we're seeing here is, listen, it's, this is Jonah's arrogant 
elitist heart here just spewing out of him and he doesn't even see it. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. He doesn't have a love for the people he's been called to love. He thinks himself better than them. And we'll see in, in chapter four, I don't know if you've read chapter four yet, but that's a head scratcher because his ugly attitude, he, he can't even hide it anymore. Right? It, is just, it is just spewing out of him and it's, it's, just, it's just venom and it's, it's him sulking and him whining and complaining after God has just done an amazing miracle. Right? We're going to see that in chapter four. But listen, keep going here. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, but I, again, remember the attitude he's bringing, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will Okay? I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. Oh, you better believe I will pay it, right? I'm, I'm good for it, right? I'm the man. That's what he's saying. I mean, just reeks of, of self-confidence. Such an overinflated sense of his, his own spiritual ability and maturity. Look at just, just check out the super spiritual tag he closes with. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? That's a, that's a hashtag blessed if I've ever seen one, right? That's like, so gag. He hasn't learned his lesson. Again, on one level, he's right. Salvation does belong to the Lord, but in his mind, it's salvation for him and not others. It's salvation for Israel, but not the Ninevites. There's this separation in his mind. It's, it's us versus them. It's, you know, we're gods, they're not. There's no way God would save his enemies, but yeah, he's gonna save, he's gonna save me and it's gonna be great. Suggesting that what? Suggesting that he believes that he deserves God's mercy. He deserves God's grace. He deserves salvation. The arrogant self-confidence in response to, to God's goodness here which, which the appointment of the fish is for Jonah. It's his salvation. It, I mean, it just kind of makes you want to vomit when you start to think about that and you realize how ugly this is, right? Now I use that word vomit intentionally considering verse 10. Look at that last verse. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up or out upon the dry land. See, most commentators believe that the fish Vomiting Jonah up on land is reflective of God's feelings towards Jonah's pride and elitism and lack of true repentance. At the same time, he's saved. Now, before we get to the point, though, we're ready to just completely railroad Jonah out of town, right? Can I just say again that everything that we've talked through, everything we're seeing here in, in Jonah is the kind of stuff that you and I struggle with. We do on a, on a daily basis. I mean, we, we know, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, we know all the Christianese. We knew all the, the, the kitschy phrases and we know all the words to say to make ourselves look spiritual. And, you know, we know all of that stuff and we know how to, you know, pray impressive prayers so that people think, you know, kind of think, wow, he's really great at that. Or she'll look at her. Right, we look down on other people and, and, and judge them and their sin instead of just facing our own and seeing it and, and owning it. We wrongly assume that God's mercy and God's grace in our lives is because, you know, I've done something to deserve it. 
Well, God must have been really impressed that I read the Bible every day this week. And, and so therefore, that's why he's, he happens to be pouring out extra blessing on me. That's why he's answering my prayers. Because I prayed. I pray and so therefore I deserve an answer. Instead of seeing it as God's grace and just his, his love towards you. We often think that God's goodness to us is because he's somehow really impressed with us. He's not because we're not very impressive, but he loves us anyways. He values us immensely. Sometimes I wonder if somewhere in our hearts, and maybe it's not even all that hard to see and, and realize, our, our attempts to be spiritual and pray and sh- come to church and read the Bible and be in Christian community and all that kind of stuff is, is somehow in many ways kind of a, a function of our hearts to try and manipulate God into doing what we want him to do as opposed to true heartfelt repentance. I've sensed this in my heart. I've seen and I've seen it a lot. There's an arrogant and self-confidence in the heart of man that's not immediately recognized by us, but God sees it. And you're noticing here in Jonah's life how he, he exposes it, right? And he, and he does it with us. He, he, he nudges us on these things and he, he kind of just gently, he gently taps us and he, and he urges us towards repenting uh, of it. And, and sometimes he's got to kind of like, you know, break us a little bit and press us down and he kind of break our legs so that we, you know, we, we relent and we, we, we submit to him and we humble ourselves crazy thing is that the Lord even allows us to continue struggling with sin and it doesn't just go right away right away so that he can work through that and, and, and humble us in more deep ways that we can't see at first over time. And even when we fail and even as we you know, do sometimes just a terrible job of, of repentance and, and we, we, we make a mistake of all of this and, and our repentance is shallow and fake and, and if we're honest, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. He still moves. He still comes towards us. He could have just had the fish digest Jonah. And instead it vomits him out onto the shore and he's going to continue to use Jonah as we'll see here. And he does the exact same thing in us. Listen, he's not, he's not stopped. He's, he's not surprised by our bumbling attempts with repentance to deal properly with our sin. And again, as I was looking at this here this week and even this morning and even now, I, I take such joy in this as, you know, I just, I think back on my own life and, and, and I'm not talking about like when I was 20 as, because it's like so much easier to talk about that. I'm talking about like in the last week, in the last couple of days where my repentance has just been, it's been so shallow and pathetic and, 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 and fake. I've got so much of, of those kinds of actions attached to my own personal, you know, Record, which when I, when I kind of put that with the love of God and the fact that he hasn't given up on me and he still continues to show me grace and, and work with me, it just makes me want to truly repent even more. It makes me want to like, no, God, really come into my heart. Really do a work, Lord, more of your spirit, more of your power. Soften me, Lord, dry bones become flesh. Lord, you please do this. I just want his presence close the more I think about these things. I want every wrongdoing in my, in my own heart, in my marriage, in my parenting. I think of 
my ministry and my relationships with you and with others, I, I want that to be dealt with rightly. I want it to be gone. I want it to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven of all of it. Not in just some pretentious way that looks good publicly to you. I find myself hungering for that more because God is worthy of nothing less than that. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for yourself? Is that what you want for your spouse, for your kids? Listen, do you want that for your church? I think we want our church to be real. At least I think we say that. I want church to be real. I want real relationships here. I, I want my relationship with God to be like more real and more full of passion until we realize it involves repentance. Until sometimes we realize it, it involves that, that, the discomfort of all of that. Until we realize that relationships are messy and, and, and going deep with the Lord and allowing him into our hearts is, is extremely uncomfortable at times. So it's not just a cute question to end a sermon with. It's a real question. Do we want this? Do we want more of the Lord? Do we want our repentance to be real? Because that's what it's going to take to see the Lord do more here. Let me pray for us. And listen, if your heart is in agreement with this, I would encourage you just where you're sitting, just you know, silently to kind of add your amen to this. Pray along with me. Pray this for yourself. Don't be praying this for the person sitting next to you. Don't be thinking about, man, I got to send the podcast of that to that guy this week. You need to hear that. Think about it for yourself. Real repentance. Let's bring ourselves to the Lord here, God, again. We need you. We need you, Lord. We know that the church exists for your glory. We know that that our lives exist for your glory. We know that it's about glorying, glorifying God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment, Lord. We know those phrases. And yet, Lord, sometimes I fear, and I'll speak for myself, that, that maybe I don't want the path that it takes to see that really happen. And Lord, that pathway is owning up to our sin and dealing honestly with the mess that's there in true heartfelt repentance. And so God, I pray uh, that you would lead me there. Lord, I pray that for our people, God, you would give us, you would grant us repentance. Father, I, pay, I pray that, Lord, these are uncomfortable prayers, but Lord, I pray that you would poke and prod and crush what you need to do in order to get our hearts into a place of submission, into a place of deep, true worship, Lord, where Jesus is on the throne and it's not just a bunch of lame words we say and a bunch of meaningless, empty actions and you know, pointless spiritual behavior, Lord, that's detached from any heart that really loves you. God, would you have your way in us, Lord? Create in us a clean heart, God. Do this in our kids, Lord. Do this in our town, God. We pray this. Lord, bring us alive. Make us alive. 
forgive us for the fake repentance. Forgive us for, for the times we don't even do that. And we just continue to, nope, nope, I will not bow. What I say goes. Lord, help us to own it. Help us to respond in humility to your mercy and your grace that you pour out, that you show. God, I pray that you would do all of this and, and more. In Christ's name, amen.